Hi, it's Steve Albrecht, and welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Hargadon. You can find more information about Steve and me and Library 2.0 at his website, library20.com. My topic for this half hour of the podcast is a conversation with you, especially if you're in a hiring position, about interviews. And we'll talk about four different types of interviews. And these interviews have a great impact on the people that you hire and bring into your organization, but also, interestingly enough, that you keep. And one of the interviews we'll talk about is called a stay interview. And I got this from Karen, that's K-A-R-I-N, Backstrom, B-A-C-K-S-T-R-O-M, like Mary, an employment lawyer in San Diego, California, my old hometown. She's at BackstromLaborLaw.com. And she's talking about a stay interview as something that you conduct with all employees to find out why they want to stay at the organization and what is making them perhaps think about leaving the organization. Now, this type of interview takes guts and it takes courage as a leader, as a supervisor, as a manager to ask these types of questions. But you can certainly head off an exodus of one or more employees. You can certainly look at some things you need to change in terms of use of praise and rewards and promotion and hours and shifts and things that we do to keep employees happy and especially these tough times in the uh, in, in 2022, at this point, we're still talking about the great resignation, the mass resignation that seems to happen in some industries in some parts of the country where people leave, uh, seemingly um, leave jobs that they like um, for other jobs that they like even better. So how do we use a stay interview as a way to capture and keep and support and, and help employees stay satisfied and happy and productive and useful working for our library. So that's our conversation today. We're going to talk a little bit about interviews. So, of course, the first interview that we always think about in a hiring process is the hiring interview. And it's interesting how we are still struggling at this day and time of asking the right kinds of questions for applicants, whether it's an interview we do face-to-face, one we do over the phone, or seemingly has happened a lot now, and especially during the pandemic, a Zoom interview. And when we think about the questions for hiring, sometimes some people try to wing it, which is a mistake. Some people use a panel interview process, but they don't talk about what the questions are going to be from each of the panel members, and that's a mistake as well. Uh, Some people ask inappropriate questions about things like birth date and number of children they have and, you know, do you plan to get pregnant and ridiculous things like that. So you need to get good guidance and advice from your human resources professionals in your library system to say, here are the kinds of questions we can ask and the kinds of questions we should definitely stay away from. So let's assume for the sake of this discussion that we have screened resumes, we've screened applications, we've looked at candidates who are not quite ready for the job and not quite qualified for the job, and we've narrowed it down to those who have the skills, the knowledge, the experience, or what we call KSAs, right, knowledge, skills, and abilities, to be able to come to an interview or sit through an interview online or Zoom and be able to uh, impress us with their expertise, their knowledge, their enthusiasm. And enthusiasm is an interesting word when it comes to hiring. I think about this from the standpoint of um, especially entry-level positions, whether it's volunteer or part-time or entry-level where someone doesn't necessarily need library degree or library uh, previous library experience, would you hire, given a choice, enthusiasm or experience. And most of the time, especially for entry-level positions, I would take experience as a secondary and enthusiasm as a primary. Now, all things be 
equal and you'd like both. But sometimes people who don't have a lot of experience but have motivation and enthusiasm turn out to be really good employees. Why? Because we can train them. But you hire somebody or you think about hiring somebody who says, yeah, I can do this job. It's, you know, and you kind of get the vibe that it's not their favorite thing in the world to do. They'd rather do something else rather than working at the library, even though they have lots of experience or have worked in other libraries. Maybe that's due to burnout or maybe that's due to some stressors in their life or maybe it's due to they're getting ready to retire or they want to change careers completely. If I had my choice between experience and enthusiasm, I would typically lean towards enthusiasm. We can train and teach people what to do. So speaking of assuming things, let's look at one question, which I use a lot in, in interviews. And I've done lots of panel interviews for my clients. Um, I have a lot of government clients that are cities and counties, and oftentimes they will invite me in to be a panel participant for uh, certain types of of career fields that I know pretty well. Um, I, I don't certainly know a lot about engineering and, and public works and things like that, but certainly first responder jobs and, and certain types of leadership, supervision, or management jobs, I can sit in on a panel and ask pretty decent questions. One of the ones that I have uh, learned from some colleagues and one of the ones that I use uh, even today, which I think is the most powerful uh, interview question to somebody, especially right off the get-go from the start, is... Let's assume for the sake of discussion, this discussion here in this interview room, that you already have the job. Let's assume that you already have been working for our organization for some span of time. Tell people what we do here. And I think the follow-up question is, tell people who ask you, let's assume that you have the job already. The follow-up question is, tell people exactly what, what you do here. And so those two questions, what do we do here, suggests that the applicant has maybe done a little bit of homework and a little bit of study to figure out what kind of work goes on in this facility, what kind of work goes on in this library. And the second question, of course, is what do you do here, meaning that they've read perhaps beyond just the job description, and they can't quote the job description to you chapter and verse, but they actually have a sense of what, what an employee in this particular role doing this particular job would do. So I think those are great questions. What do we do here? And more accurately, what do you do here? And if they can't answer those questions, and I've seen people struggle with these, these questions before, uh, we do something with books and it's in a building, then you know that they're not either prepared for the interview or not prepared for the job. And I think those two questions can really help you differentiate between two employees who look at this as a career field or a job, or two employees who look at this as saying, I have a duty to beat out my competition by being more informed, more educated about the work that's done by this particular library, and that I've read beyond the job description. Maybe I've come into the library or talked to some people who work here or talked to friends or looked online and seen really a, a description of what people do at this particular facility to get a sense of how this job is at this particular library. And since it's different in different libraries, the work culture is different. The patrons we serve are different, and the, and the, the work product oftentimes is different depending on the size of the library. So I think those are the two best questions ever. Assume you have the job already. Tell people, uh, an outsider, what we do here as a library. And the second is tell people what you do here specifically. And if they fumble around for both of those, you know that they've probably done nothing other than just read the job description off the, your website or, or looked at your website briefly and not really committed anything to a, a, a discussion point that they can use for later on. So I look at the interview process and in... In kind of a different way than other people do. I, I say, 
you know, it's expensive to hire people. It's time consuming to hire people. Um, it, it's expensive when we make a wrong choice. Someone doesn't make it through a probation. They don't make it through uh, some sort of minimum job requirements that we have for them. Uh, some people are pretty good at, at manipulating their resume or explaining what they have done on an application or resume to make it seem like they really know what they're doing in a certain specific field or a certain level of expertise when they actually don't have it. And also that, that sometimes we choose uh, wrongly based on the fact that we hope someone's going to get better in terms of their enthusiasm. And instead of saying this person's enthusiastic at the interview and has the types of social skills and kind of that personality of, of enthusiasm that, that really becomes clear when talking to them that they're going to be good for our patrons and good for our interactions with our supervisors and other employees. Think about the interview process also looking at a kind of a 50-50 split and saying part of our discussion with an applicant is, in my belief anyway, 50% of what we are looking for is their knowledge, skills, and ability, their technical skills. They know how to operate uh, the job functions that we're asking them to do within the library. They can fulfill the job duties. And then, of course, obviously, the other 50% is their, their personality, their, their interpersonal skills, their, their interpersonal skills with coworkers, their interpersonal skills with bosses, their interpersonal skills with patrons, uh, and recognizing the diversity of all those groups and being able to work in a diverse work community and a diver diverse workforce. Can they work in teams? Can they work uh, individually? Can they work separately without a lot of guidance? Can they work um, without a lot of supervision? Um, can they work with um, all types of people in under stress? And think about this from working with colleagues, working with bosses, and working with patrons under stress, especially as we've seen in the last couple of years during the pandemic. So the idea sometimes happens in, in the libraries that in a perfect world, we would get somebody who has really good technical skills and, and or experience or can learn those technical skills pretty quickly and, and also enthusiastically. And then they have the, the interpersonal skills to be able to work with diverse people as part of patrons or as part of coworkers, as part of bosses. That 50-50 split is a critical one, obviously, and it's an important one to look at when we look at the hiring process and the questions that we ask. Can we demonstrate through our questioning process that they know how to work um, independently and work work assertively and work with an experience and enthusiasm or can be taught to do those things or to do their skills necessary for the particular job? And can they work in teams? Can they work with coworkers and bosses on a long-time, long-term basis? And so that's really what I look at for the, the hiring interviews. Those, those are critical themes to focus on. So lots of discussion about types of questions you can ask and things like that, but I, I usually, those are the ones that I look for the most. Enthusiasm versus experience, both are important, but I would kind of lean towards the, the enthusiasm part. And can you accurately and correctly and, and skillfully describe what we do here as a library and what you would do here while working for us, assuming that you already got the job. If they can do that, it means they've gone the extra steps and have looked at your organization in a little bit more detail than the person who has not. One of the challenges, I think, in the hiring process is to look at people, especially coming out of the pandemic, and seeing whether they may be over-experienced or over-qualified for the job, in which case they're taking it just because they need the medical benefits or they, they need a salary. They're not really, they don't have their heart in it. it it's a, a step down for them from what they used to do. Now, a couple ways to look at that. One is they say, you know, I like the library world. I enjoy this work with this type of patron and this type of colleague who are, you know, in the library world, and they're going to be fine. 
Other times they may be burnt out and they may have an expectation that the pay, which you know starts out low at, at some jobs, is going to rise pretty quickly and then they're really discouraged when that doesn't happen. So I oftentimes look and say, does this person here have, have they already had a long career in the library world and they just need a job and they're actually two or three steps down from where they were in their previous career, in which case they could be pretty disappointed uh, if we hire them for an entry-level position. Um, the other part is, and, and this is really hard to judge too, but sometimes we see it with people that they look at a certain type of work and even in, in sort of low-paying jobs, you could say, is this a career or is it just a, a position, just a job? Is this a calling to me that I want to do this type of work, serve people, serve others, work in the public sector, work in a customer contact job, or is it just a job to, to get me through to the next one? Sometimes that kind of leaks out of people during the interview process where they're, they're, they talk about this in ways that, you know, almost like, well, when's my first vacation and when do I get my first promotion and how soon can we talk about a salary increase and, and uh, you know, how many, uh, how many vacation days do I get in, in a calendar year and, and when can I start using them sort of an approach would suggest that, that this job may be a way station for them. So I think this, this, this look for the best fit really suggests that we have to be good screeners of not only the things that they have given us on paper, which is the, the resume, the application, and things like that, but also a sense of, of looking past their nervousness in the interview process, looking past you know the usual uh, challenges and difficulties we have when talking to total strangers about, a, about your career, is to get a sense of, of this is something that this person wants to do or this is something that this person just merely here because they, they need a paycheck until something better comes along. Uh, I was talking to a library employee uh, after I did a program, a week-long set of programs in the East Coast, and this person said, well, um, I don't like it in my current job, so I think I'm going to go back to my job at, at Dollar General. And I said, oh, did you work there? And she said, yeah, it's, you know, working at Dollar General's, I get a little bit more money than I do working at the library, so I'm probably going to go back to that. That's kind of one of those examples of the library is not a real calling for that person as opposed to somebody else who says, um, you know, I love books, I love people, I love the conversation, I love research, I love information, I love sharing the best things that I have read or seen or discovered uh, in terms of the multimedia world that the library is, kind of a different um, type of employee compared to the, the one that wants to go back to work at the Dollar General. Not that there's anything wrong with working at the Dollar General, it's just that we want to make the right hiring choices for people when it comes to the time and expense and difficulty of screening lots of folks to bring them into the library world. Think about the fact that you have gone through a process which is a time-consuming and, and you know, takes hours and, and involves a lot of research and study of applications and resumes and, and screening processes and things like that. And then you know the background checks we do for people, uh, your, your city or county agency library may include a drug test. Uh, some do, some don't. Uh, you may have some type of a, a background check that's, that's pretty deep, and you have to pay an outside agency, an outside investigative firm, to uh, come up with a, a legal fair credit reporting act um, type um, background check, which is which is uh, you know a requirement a, a necessity when we do background checks on people. So it's not cheap, and you think about the work that we do to bring people in, to socialize them to the organization, socialize them to the the work, uh, onboarding orientation, and then only to have them quit two two weeks later or two months later is expensive, and then we start the process all over again. So it's always about fit, and let's talk about another type of interview which is connected to the hiring interview. And it's a little, 
unusual, and and I've not seen it a lot in in first line staff type jobs, but I've certainly seen it in serious level director, manager, uh, department head type of jobs, which is the social interview. And the social interview usually follows the uh, first hiring interview. And and uh, uh, let's say we do things in a panel, which is we bring in three or four people to. Uh, from different parts of the library or even different parts of your city if you have that luxury, other, other HR people or other department heads who, who want to volunteer to come in to be on the panel, uh, as I have done many times and I find it interesting, is that they have passed through the first hiring process. The second interview is a social interview, and that's an interview where we take the, the person out for lunch. And it's oftentimes in, in, in conjunction with other department heads who attend the lunch, or a human resources director or library director. And it's, it's more than just maybe a, a one-on-one type of thing, but a social interview where there's maybe three or four people or five people at the table. And they have a chance to talk to this applicant, talk to this person about his or her career and their experience and, and kind of the goals they see for the type of position they're coming into. So certainly not, I've not seen a lot of social interviews for you know, a, a, a part-time position at the library, but I have seen it for uh, s- senior management, executive level, department director, deputy director, director of the library positions, where we're taking this person out to a, a social interaction with, with um, you know, iced tea and sandwiches and a, a restaurant experience, and just getting a feel for them outside of the, the, the main hiring interview process that we've already gone through. And I'm reminded of a really old story. A friend of mine uh, was working as a, a, a sales manager for a large organization. He said, when I got hired, uh, the founder of the firm, the founder of this firm that I was, I was selling for, uh, took me out for a, a meal at this really fancy restaurant. And they, um, um, you know, I was trying to do my best to be as engaging and, and, and you know, careful with my answers as possible. And, and so I, I said to the waiter, um, you know, I'd like... Uh, the, uh, you know, the ham sandwich and the, uh, the fries and the salad and iced tea. And then the waiter brought him a club sandwich. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I ordered the ham sandwich and you brought me the club. And the person said, oh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make the change right away. Sorry about that. And brought him, uh, brought him the right sandwich. And, and he passed the test, which is known back in those days as the club sandwich test. So the, when he got hired, the founder of the firm kind of a curmudgeonly old guy, said, I typically take people that I want to bring into my organization here, and I tell the waiter that whatever they order, you know, it's a steak or a salad or, or anything, just to bring a club sandwich, and I want to see what this person's reaction is when you bring them the club sandwich. And it's, it's funny, it's, it seems sort of childish, but it, it does kind of go back to a larger point of how you can get a sense in a social interview of how people treat each other and how people treat the wait staff at the facility, at the restaurant. So would you say to yourself, is it possible that this person who mistreats a waiter or a waitress at the restaurant could turn out not to be a good employee, not to be a good leader, not to be someone that, that uses praise or, or, or uh, is in, you know, intensely critical of somebody who makes a simple mistake? And so the, old, the, the gentleman that, that uh, you know, the founder of the firm said, in my experience, having done this for a while, I've, I've seen several reactions, which is, uh, one time, you know, this person would berate uh, the waiter or waitress who brought the wrong sandwich, and I'm like, that's not the person for me in my organization. And then the other interesting one is, is <laughs> makes me laugh, is if you eat the club sandwich without sending it back, then the person, the, the hiring guy, the, the, the old guy that ran the firm says, then I start to wonder about your assertiveness. I wonder about your, 
your sense of decisions that are made in the wrong direction, which you just go along with? And do you have the courage to say, I didn't order the, the club sandwich, please bring me what I, what I ordered? And so either eating the club sandwich without a complaint is not the best answer, or, or berating the, the, the uh, waiter or waitress is not the best answer either. So sending back the club sandwich politely and, and, and carefully uh, with the waiter or waitress is the right answer because it says, I know how to treat people in a social situation, especially in a service situation. I don't make a big deal out of a, out of a small mistake. But then again, I don't just eat the club sandwich and not say anything, thinking the whole time, I wish I hadn't, you know, I wish I'd ordered something else because it's not what I wanted. So I found the, the social interview kind of an interesting one. Uh, I don't believe in social interviews that involve alcohol or after hours type things. I think the, the proper social interview, the, the ethical social interview is the one that's done at lunch. Whether you want to do the club sandwich experience or experiment uh, or, or not is up to you. But I do think it's useful for co-workers, especially if you're talking about department heads or other supervisors or other managers, to be able to see this person in a more, hopefully, more comfortable environment and to talk about the, the, the library and the work that's done there and the future and the direction and then get their sense of how they see, see their particular strategic vision for what they want to do when they get hired. And, and my experience in hiring has been that when a large majority of the people who were at the social interview did not like the candidate, um, it was a mistake to hire that person. Uh, my experience has been when a large majority of the people who were at the social interview enjoyed the candidate and liked the applicant and thought this person would be a good fit, turned out to be a good fit. So it's funny how people kind of reveal themselves in social situations, and that's the value of the social interview. It doesn't have to happen in every job, but it can be useful in certain jobs that have a, a, a serious level of, of, of um, power or, or you know, direction for the organization where you want to make the right fit at a senior level position. The social interview could be a good second step after the primary interview. So I have two more interviews to talk with you about. One is kind of negative. That'll be the exit interview. And the other is this stay interview, which Karen Backstrom, the, the um, legal professional, the lawyer in San Diego, has talked about. And you can find her on, uh, on LinkedIn is where I saw her article about this. So the exit interview is done and should be done, I believe, with everybody who leaves, whether they're, they leave voluntarily. Uh, if we can do it for people who have been terminated, if they'll sit still for it, if they'll agree to it, that's useful. Um, but I, I really see it, the exit interview is most useful for those situations where the person kind of leaves abruptly. They leave without, without, without two weeks' notice. They, ble- uh, they leave without uh, much sense that, that, that this was planned or anticipated because they're moving on to a different career or going back to school or whatever it happens to be. So the exit interview oftentimes reveals why this person is leaving the organization, and it, it sometimes brings up really disturbing things like sexual harassment or racial harassment or being bullied or, or something happened of a significant nature involving a patron where they felt threatened or assaulted or something horrible like that, and they didn't report it. And the first time you figure it out, either as a library director or a human resources professional working in the library, is when they tell you the story. And so you say to yourself, okay, would employees really quit their job before they told their bosses or told senior management what was happening to them? And the answer is all the time. They feel embarrassed. They feel uncomfortable. They don't know who to report to. They're not sure if they're going to be blamed, as that happens in some work cultures. They're also not sure that there will be consequences for the person, if it's a patron or a coworker or something like that, who has done something to them or around them. Um, they're not sure there'll be consequences that'll make it want, worthwhile for them to stay. So I, I have found, having done many exit interviews myself, 
um, that I am sometimes very surprised uh, for the, per- the reason the person is leaving. And sometimes you say, well, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay home with my family or I'm going back to graduate school or I'm going back to college or my, my spouse or partner and I are moving to another part of the country. That all makes perfect sense. But when those things come up and say, I'm leaving because I'm being sexually harassed by a boss or a patron or something like that, it's, it's disturbing that, that two things. One, we didn't see it, and also that the employee didn't have enough courage to tell us what's going on. We can't fix what we don't know about. So a, a couple of things about the exit interview. I think he, you, it has to be done with some tact and discretion because sometimes the person is really upset as to why they're leaving, and it may not be their choice. Uh, they may have been terminated. Uh, they may have, um, in which case, we don't force them to have the exit interview. If they want to go along with it, that's, that's good for us just to get information um, and also sort of help them maybe discover why the termination took place if they don't you know, obviously know based on all the things that have happened to leading up to that point. It, it lets us gather information that can help us correct in the future um, the things that drove this person into quitting. And maybe it's a cultural thing, it's a, a work culture thing, it's a it's a treatment thing. It's a you know it could be hours, wages, shifts, working conditions. There are lots of things that could that could drive the person away. But the ones that really concern me are bad bosses, uh, harassment or bullying by coworkers, harassment or bullying by by um, patrons. Um, this sense that they're being micromanaged by a supervisor or they have a missing manager who does not respond to them or give them any support or training or, or help or praise. And those things may be really become visible and, and explained or expressed in the exit interview with you if we give this person a chance to vent. And I'll tell you a, 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 something I do in exit interviews where I have heard, especially about things like harassment or bullying or other policy violations, whether it's a racial nature or a discriminatory nature or retaliatory nature, sometimes the person who makes the complaint about, about a, a coworker or a boss um, will do so, and then as they leave, they are under the impression that because they are leaving, we're not going to do anything about that, and that's wrong. What we need to say to the person who is leaving, the, the, the soon-to-be ex-employee is, thanks for telling us about this. I bet it took some courage. I'm sure you were concerned about it. We are going to address this, and we will contact you with the results of our investigation after you're gone so that you know that we have followed through on what you've said. And I think that's really significant and important, which is it's not just the exit interview conversation. It is the exit interview conversation followed with followed by an investigation and followed through with a, uh, a letter or a phone conversation back to this person, probably both would be useful, uh, a, a, a follow-up letter and a phone conversation with this person that says, we looked into what you have told us and we found it to be credible and we took actions, including termination or discipline or whatever happens to be without getting into the specifics for privacy reasons. But, um, or that we came back and said, we looked into what you told us about, we, we did a full investigation and we were unable to prove uh, what took place, that doesn't mean it didn't, but what, we were unable to prove it. Or what we did was, was an investigation and it came back as unfounded or actually not to be true. And sometimes that happens from misunderstandings or people make up stories about things to ruin each other's careers, lots of reasons for that. So the exit interview where there is an allegation made is a critical crossroads for us to say we need to address in a follow-up with that former employee, what steps we took to mitigate, address, investigate, correct the problem. Otherwise, they leave thinking that we have 
somehow allowed this to continue and it's gonna gonna victimize or harm somebody else. And I think that's a critical part of the exit interview. But but really the exit interview, it, it takes courage to have them, it takes courage to conduct them, it takes courage to follow up, but it's necessary. And it's really a venting process for the employee, ex-employee, soon to be ex-employee, to say, here's why I'm leaving. And it could be really revealing to us as to the work culture, hours, wages, pay, interactions, patron behavior, coworker behavior, um, lack of support, lack of training, lack of, of ongoing daily interactions, lack of praise, lots of things that we could be addressing as a supervisory leadership group that perhaps we knew about, but this is yet another example of what we need to address or it's news to us. And certainly if we have the part where there's some sort of ethical violation, we have a duty to address that post uh, report back to the ex-employee and say, thanks for your, your, your bringing this to our attention. Here's what we learned. Okay, let's talk about the stay interview. And the stay interview is a unique approach. It shows concern for our, all of our employees, and we do it in a one-on-one -on -one interview with them. It doesn't have to be for a long time, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And it takes courage on both the part of the employee and the part of the supervisor manager, leader, director, deputy director, who is having these conversations because it says, I want to ask you some open-ended, extractive questions designed to get you to tell us what you like about working here, perhaps what you don't like about working here. If you're thinking about leaving, can we, can we interrupt that process? Can we stop you from going if we, if we value your contribution here? If you are telling us things that we need to address differently, especially of a negative perspective, harassment, bullying, um, mistreatment, things like that, or are there some things that we can fine tune in terms of our employment, employee, employer relationship about the working conditions and you know, making a shift in, in things that we have some control over, like, like shifts and, and hours worked and locations and duties and things like that. So it's, it's really... Uh, uh, kind of a cards-on-the-table process for both parties, the employee and the manager, supervisor, or director, who says, now's the time, and I'm really looking forward to your candid uh, assessment, your candid cooperation here about what w was is that you like about working here, what's making you stay, and then, of course, what might make you want to leave, and we don't want that, and what can we do to keep you happy so that you're working here continuously for as long as you want to be here. And so doing it for all employees suggests that we're not doing this based on, you know, favoritism or teacher's pet or something like that, and that every employee has an opportunity, and I think this is the key, every employee has the opportunity to talk about these things if he or she desires, if they have the courage to do so. So at least, and, and they may, have this, may not have this perspective, but, but we can, we can't, they can't say, well, my boss has never talked to me. My boss has never spoke to me about any work issues. This is the time, the forum, the format for them to speak about things that they are unsatisfied with or that are happy with, that they like, and we should keep on doing. We really like the way, or I really like the way we get to do this, this, and this. Can we not take that away or cannot not get cut out of the budget, whatever it happens to be? I think that's valuable information as well. So there are some things in the, in the stay interview that this person would want to keep having happen or keep on doing, and it could be job duties or, or fringe benefits or things that, you know, um, a birthday cake in the, in the break room every, every month, um, stuff like that, which is just fun. And there are things that they need to, um, would like to see stopped that, that make their job more difficult, that make their 
their time um, um, gets wasted on things that are bureaucratic or, or unnecessary. So it, it shows concern. It is, or it should be, in a perfect world anyway, a two-way conversation that you have with the employee. And it really suggests that we are listening and that we can perhaps come back with some small victories, some some low-hanging fruit, so to speak, which is we can do things quickly, immediately, uh, once it comes to our attention as a leadership team or as a leader in the organization, to make changes that are that are positive right away. We don't have to go through, you know, six months of discussion and review. We say, well, all right, that that's everybody seems to be saying the same thing. Let's let's make that fix, or let's let's continue to do this because it's working for everybody. And those things can happen at the at the leader level because you can say, I, I can make that decision right away. And then the other part of the stay interview is that sometimes you can address some rumors that you have heard about or that have come to your attention or some gossip. And I use gossip in, in my cases sometimes because sometimes parts of it is true. Sometimes gossip is a foreshadowing or a forewarning of something that's happening in, in the employee population. That's not always true. And sometimes little things get, get stretched out into big things. But you can look at rumors or gossip or kind of an innuendo about the work culture or what's happening in terms of the future of the organization, budget cuts, layoffs, staff uh, salary concerns, um, positions being eliminated, job duties being combined, stuff that, that stresses out employees and say, I, I can tell you honestly and right here that that's not happening, or I will tell you honestly and right here that it, those things are, are happening or may happen. And so it is really a, um, a, an opportunity to be honest with the employee. And what we're hoping by modeling and foreshadowing our own honesty as leaders is that they're going to do the same with us. Now, it is difficult to compel, convince, ask, persuade, beg, plead, suggest to employees that they tell us what they are feeling because, and you may have seen this already in your work if you're a supervisor, is uh, everything's fine. Nope, no issues. No, I'm fine. That's all fine. And employees will tell you that things are fine when they're not really fine. Uh, I often do team building exercises with groups that are in either crisis with their boss or crisis with each other. And I will ask the bosses not to be in the room because when they're in the room, people say that usual stuff, which is, no, we're getting along fine, everything's fine, and they don't want to embarrass themselves or their colleagues in front of the bosses. So I say to the bosses, sit out, I will give you a report as to what was talked about, but if you're here, people are going to give me the usual party line, which is no problems, everything's fine, and that's not the reason I'm there. The reason I'm there is something's not fine. So... If, and this is, a, this is a hurdle, if you have the trust with your employees in place, if they feel that they can have a confidential or an open conversation with you, give you feedback and suggestions without you shooting the messenger, then the stay interview is going to be really useful. If they feel that nothing is going to be different, if they feel that you're going to get offended, you're going to be angry at them, then they're going to say everything is fine. You have to decide which kind of interview you want to conduct, the one that's useful and gives you information or the one that just says, let's just kick this can down the road in terms of behavioral problems, performance issues, work culture issues, et cetera. So in her LinkedIn piece, Karen Backstrom, the lawyer in San Diego at Backstrom Labor Law, says... Um, a stay interview is conducted with current employees to assess their job satisfaction as, to well, as well as to why they're staying with the organization. So you can get some positives there. Uh, you may ask several questions with the goal of learning both what makes your library a good place to work as well what will also may need some improvement to increase employee retention. So the benefits from her perspective, and I agree, shows your employees that you care about their thoughts and feelings regarding their work. Uh, 
helps you build trust with your employees, increases communication between you and the employees, and allows for, and this is, I think is the biggest, biggest one, allows for a mutual conversation regarding their particular current perceptions of their bosses or you or their coworkers, the patrons, um, the, the, and even the facilities where they work. So, so part of their dissatisfaction could be that the library facility is uncomfortable for them. Too hot, too cold, uh, doesn't feel safe, um, lighting, whatever it happens to be, that could be a safety factor as well. This gives you viable, useful information that you can use to make positive changes within their workplace. And then it also gives you a, a sense of, of some repeatable patterns or some common themes that are coming from the employees about things that may impact retention and turnover and issues around new or adjusted policies or training requirements, things like that. So as she says that the goals of the STAY interview are to increase employee communication, discover positives to be continued and negatives to be fixed, and keep your employees longer and happier in the job. So think about those possibilities as you look at the interview process in your organization. And my thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security podcast, Steve Harganon, the founder and director of Library 2.0. For more information, visit Library 2.0 at the website, library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security podcast.